rotten motherfucker. Hello, friends. Welcome to Mostly Armless. I'm your host, Damn It Damien. Buddies, I'm back. For those of you who didn't know, uh, Mostly Harmless was a punk rock podcast I did for about five years. Uh, we took about a four-year hiatus to deal with like legal drama and stuff that's still going on. But, you know, as if the year 2020 couldn't get any worse, I'm bringing Mostly Harmless back, friends. So, we're back today with episode one of version 2.0. It's going to be a brand new video series. You can still download the podcast wherever you get podcasts from. But my mom is always like, I don't know how to listen to podcasts. How can I just watch? So, here we are on YouTube. Uh, for, for this first episode, I sit down and chat with my old friend Jeff Britt. Jeff is, of course, the owner of The Black Sheep. He is the former GM of the Summit Music Hall. He is a talent buyer here in Denver. He's the bass player of Cheap Perfume. He's the co-host of Taking Back Mondays on Mondays at the Matchbox here in Denver. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting a whole lot of things. Uh, all around great dude, Jeff Brent, 100%. My goals here today to, were to talk to Jeff about how he went from a record store clerk to running and owning his own music venues all around Colorado. Uh, we talk about what the black sheep means to him, what he looks for in bands, what he thinks bands should be doing right now, and really just an overall uh, look and feel of what it's like to work behind the scenes in the music venue industry here in Colorado. Uh, we also talk, you know, today is Giving Tuesday, we also talk a lot about how important the Save Our Stages campaign is. Today being Giving Tuesday, please go donate to Save Our Stages. Listen to Jeff's uh, plea at the end of this video. If you skip any and everything, please go listen to Jeff talk about how important it is to save our stages there towards the end of this uh, little chat. Also, uh, with Mostly Harmless 2.0, we're going to be spotlighting a lot more nonprofits. That's kind of my goal is to just kind of bring your attention to things that uh, make the world a better place. So please, in the YouTube comments or on the website or on Facebook, please let me know what your favorite nonprofits are and why, and we'll look into it and hopefully we'll feature them on a future episode of Mostly Harmless 2.0. And if you like what we're doing here today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please subscribe to our Instagram page. Follow us on all those places. All the links are right down below. Uh, that's how we book guests. They look at our numbers. They're like, oh, hey, yeah, this guy's got an audience. Let's book him. We also have a Patreon where uh, I'll show you even more behind the scenes of Mostly Harmless and the people we interview. And without any further ramblings, Here's my chat today with Jeff Brent. Jeff Brent, 100%. How the hell are you, my dude? What's up? I'm uh, doing good. How are you? Man, it's, it's doing all right, man. Uh, just I, I'm, I'm happy to see your face. You too. Uh, thank you for being the first guest on this new Mostly Harmless 2.0. I'm sure yeah. you're sitting there in your, your house right now going like, Damien, why the hell did you ask me to be the first guest on the show right now? I don't know. Yeah. I, I have no idea. Yeah, I, I, I figured you might. So I'm, I'm going to tell you, hopefully real quick, hopefully I won't ramble too much, but uh, you've always been incredible, incredibly supportive to me for whatever strange reason. Um, like ever since I was a little kid running around in the Springs, you, you always like took care of me. And uh, I, you know, anytime over the course of uh, the many, many years we've both worked behind the scenes of music, anytime I want to ask somebody for advice, you were always somebody who would give me, uh, you were very straightforward. And then you keep popping in my head because you just bought a goddamn music venue. Yeah. 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 I bought a music venue in, uh, in July of 2019, um, which is for the, for the black sheep, um, for, for people who don't know, it's the black sheep um, in Colorado Springs, which I was the 
first GM of um, from 2005 to 2010. So it's kind of like this like dream, dream world scenario where it's like, oh my God, I get to like, I mean, as the GM of a place like that, you, you kind of like are the architect and you kind of like, I mean, I mean, I think I can take like a little bit of credit for the, the success of the place and it being open for 15 years. And um, so it's like, wow, I get to like own this, how cool. And then nine months later, we're, we're closed for indefinitely. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, it's been interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, for those, those people out there who don't know, I worked at the Black Sheep for a little less than two years. You were very instrumental in bringing me into the Black Sheep and making that happen. I don't know, man. That's, that's just such a great place, and I'm so happy that you're the owner of it nowadays. But I got to ask you, you know, when I first met you, you were this smarmy 20-something-year-old working at Independent Records in Fountain, Colorado. Yeah. Had, had I come back in time, had I come back in time and told Jeff Brent that he would own Industrial Nation one day. <laughs> what the hell would have you have thought? I, like in economics class, when I was a senior in high school, uh, we had to do like a, a, you know, a really half-assed exercise where we started our own business. And mine was like a concert venue <laughs> that also like had a bowling alley, which wasn't a thing at the time and now now Brooklyn Bowl is like huge you know um had it had its own uh it's had its own bowling alley and I think probably also a skate park knowing me in high school um, what you're talking about we're probably talking about 2002 2003 like I met some of like people who are still like some of my best friends in my whole life going to that building in like 1996 1997 um, the amount of times that I was like, I want to own this place versus the amount percentage that I actually thought that was ever going to be possible. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's really cool. Even, even now, even after the last nine months, it's still, it's still like a really cool thing to me. And, um, I'm proud that, uh, that I was able to buy it and I'm proud that, that we've, been able to make it this far through this whole thing you know yeah congratulations i think uh, i've learned you... a lot about like operating under some situation that's 10 times worse than what you thought the worst case scenario was so someday things will be back to normal and um i think at this point nothing would shock me you're going to have a, uh, a series of juggalo shows to save the black sheep. We'll do it. We'll do whatever it takes. <laughs> so, so how did this journey begin from just humble guy working for soda jerk to becoming the Jeff Brent 100% that we know today? <laughs> it's a long journey. I mean, I'd say like it actually, let's do, let's do the cliff notes version. How did you yeah. get started in music? Then the music, we'll go, we'll go as short as we can. So you mentioned independent records, that was really um, kind of the start of everything for me because I had I had all these friends and bands. I would I just wanted to be like more involved in the scene. And part of me working at a record store was that I could like help my friends and bands out with stuff a little bit, which led to me um, being like a big like street team. Not I don't know if that was a thing at the time, but like for so did, or for uh, for layman terms. 
from Colorado Springs who were on Soda Jerk Records, which led to once Soda Jerk started doing shows in Colorado Springs, I kind of put myself out there as like guy who would work for beer, <laughs> which led to me like doing some running shifts, some merch shifts at 32 Blue, which led to me kind of being like the number two guy for Soda Jerk in Colorado Springs under Mark Peralta. Quickly led to me being the GM at the Black Sheep one, as soon as it opened, and then being GM at Summit once it opened in Denver in 2010. And then 2016, I became like a full-time talent buyer, which is not that different, but just more of like an office job. When Live Nation bought Soda Jerk, I went to Live Nation. I'm trying to get this light back on, sorry. <laughs> it's um, so yeah, I guess that's the clip notes. It, I guess it started, I guess the, the best thing I can say is like in the music industry, there's so many people who want to be involved. Um, probably not probably like 10% of those people have like the drive to really do the like grueling bullshit hours that are involved and thankless work that's involved. Um, and then of those 10% of people, probably like 25% of those people actually get like an opportunity to get in and like show what they can do. And like, I mean, it's not worth it to, to a sane <laughs> person. And, and then there's a lot of people who, probably deserve a shot to be like where I'm at who like just didn't get the opening you know like you just it's kind of there's always going to be a little bit of right place right time no matter how pure your intentions are and how hard you're willing to work like sometimes you just gotta like hope that the person ahead of you does something else because <laughs> yeah, yeah. otherwise there's always just going to be a person ahead of you and you're going to be stuck where you are so yeah, I mean, uh, when I worked at the Triple Nickel for years, I did it literally for free. People were like, how much? You only paid us 30 bucks. How much are you getting tonight? And I'm like, I got a picture of free PBR. And, but look at me now. Here I am. Uh, you own a house. You own a car. You own a music venue. I'm begging for people to subscribe to my Patreon. So obviously, <laughs> one of us did this right. One of us did it wrong. Uh, I mean, I will. I will say that I had three jobs at the beginning of this year and I have zero jobs right now other than I guess four jobs if you want to count owning a music venue. One job if you still count that as a job, but it's a job that makes negative many thousands of dollars right now. So Yeah. Are you still an active talent buyer? Um just yes. for the black just for the black sheep right now. Okay. So um, when things reopen, just the black sheep? Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay. Uh, I, I don't I know. Understand. I mean, I'm technically furloughed. I work for Live Nation right now. I'm furloughed since September. I don't know how long that will go on for. Yeah. Um, Sorry to bring it down. No, no, it's cool. And I mean, it's, that's the facts of the matter. Um, and I don't know, uh, what, where I'll be or what'll be going on when they're in a place to bring me back. Like maybe I'll go back. Maybe I won't. Depends on what else comes up in the meantime? Yeah. So, so how do you go from being this like a um, cog in a machine to being the owner of the black sheep? How did that, that happen? How did you take control? Well, um, I mean, Mike sold the, his Denver venues, the marquee and summit to live nation. Um, I don't think they were interested in going into Colorado Springs. And I think 
I just, you know, I kept in touch with them for, I guess it was like a year and a half after that, like here and there we talked. And I think he recognized that it would mean a lot more for me. I mean, he, I had talked to him multiple times, like that owning my own venue, um, my own bar, whatever was something that was like really what I was looking to go to. And he knew that for years. Um, and he was just like, I happen to have something that I can sell you. You might want, you know? Um, and we made it happen. He was more than fair to me with the deal. And I was lucky enough to be able to actually buy it with cash last July, which is probably the only reason we're still open. Cause if I had had to take out some kind of huge loan and was running on fumes, like when everything shut down, then we probably would be closed already. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I want to get into how we can save the black sheep, but we're going to leave, we're going to save that for a little bit further down the end. Uh, but what I want to know is like, I mean, the black sheep, but it is just a concrete block shithole when you get down to the end of it. But you helped to make that special. But what makes that place special for you, Jeff Brent? Um, the staff is, is 100% like the first answer. And it has been since 2005 you know it's always been whoever was working there but it, i mean if you want to talk about like this is all right this is just the beginning because i'm just saying the staff but like you want to talk about the staff like i was the first gm i was there for five years um the next two gms in whatever order you want to put them were huffy and jeremy who were both there when we opened in 2005 um jeremy left and 2017 um and now we have kevin who was i don't think we hired him in 2005 because i think it would have been like 15 but we hired him like as soon as he was 18 if not maybe when he was 17 even don't tell anybody <laughs> you know but it's like it's a small music scene there and the fact that everybody who has ever been in charge of that place has been a huge part of the music scene is huge i think but besides the staff i mean and jackie who's our assistant gm like i think i met her when she was 14 or 15 going to shows and we put her like on staff when she turned 18 you know it's just like and that was before i that was before i left so our our agm has been there for 12 years at this point yeah. um it's just like when you're there you don't leave. There's no reason to leave. <laughs> Besides that, I mean, it is a concrete shithole, kind of. Um, kind of, yeah. It has, I will say, it has, like, I guess, I don't want to say it has a great layout, but it has a very simple layout. It's all you need. You can see the stage from the entire back of the room. Um, I don't think there's a venue in Denver that's that size that is as is cool as the black sheep you know like it's a great it's a great room for like watching a show i think people like discount that where they're like oh it's in a shitty neighborhood it's made of cinder blocks uh <laughs> but it's like hey you know what at the end of the day it's had a great pa the whole time it's been open the lights have been great for at least 10 years now for actually watching a show it's it's pretty fucking sick like you can't do much better like there's no poles in your way like it sounds good it looks good it's kind of like all you need <laughs> there's no like vip experience and the bathrooms are 
what they usually are in a room that size, whatever. And it's still in a shitty part of town, but you don't go to shows to hang out with the people in the neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it gets like, I think it gets a little like undersold as what it actually is. Cause I mean, it's like a marquee bluebird size room and it's like, I would rather see a show there than either of those places. Colorado Springs scene thrives when there's um, there's a good theater room because the Black Sheep is obviously it's a big venue for a local band. I mean, it's a big venue for a local band in Denver. There's I can think of maybe like maybe ten bands off the top of my head who would play at 500 cap in Denver. Um, so in Colorado Springs, there's even less for sure. Um, and I think when the Colorado Springs scene has thrived, it's had a good, like, an H.W. Briggs, a High Life House, a Flux, um, you know, it needs something like Rocket Room, Triple Nickel at times, you know, uh, but, I mean, it needs, the Black Sheep can't be the Colorado Springs music scene, because most local bands in any city are playing to 100 people or less, you know? Um, so a 500 cap isn't where you build your music scene. Um, I think with an eye towards that, we're trying to just expand our footprint and I'm trying to really invest in, I'm trying to like open a new place or two down there. And I'm trying to really like actually invest in the city and the music scene in the city and giving bands a place to grow up doing something I think if you look at the smaller venues down there, it doesn't necessarily make sense which ones work and which ones don't. I think there's a lot of like luck there. I think there's a lot of like right place, right time there. But I like believe that we can make a smaller venue that will like allow bands like room to grow, be complementary to the Black Sheep, get bands like started in a way where they're headed to like where they're selling 300 tickets and they need a place place the size of the Black Sheep. Besides that, I think the city is, the city's kind of doing what it needs to do on its own, which is that it's growing really fast. The demographics are changing a lot. Like there's still a huge percent that's like military, obviously. The whole like, this is Christian suburbia slash military that's all it is like that's changing really fast the people are moving there like 25 they want to live in denver but they can't afford it or they just don't get why they would pay that much to live in denver and i think it's gonna be i think like part of part of saving the the music scene in the city is just gonna be like the people that we need there to go to shows are like going there now slowly but surely i think denver is looking a lot less appealing to a lot of people and Colorado Springs looking more appealing to the same people. So, yeah, honestly, I'm like, damn, I should have bought a house in the Springs two years ago. What was I thinking? Ugh. I was going to buy a house down there. Uh, I, I really started looking like at the beginning of the year and part of it, I was just going to kind of like split my time. Um, I, I can, I can like barely afford a house in Colorado Springs right now. Yeah, like I, I could, but probably not the time you've always taken a chance on people like me on newer younger bands what do you look for in a new band that's getting ready getting started and getting about to hit the stage i look for i mean i look for shit i like like number one if i'm just like this is good 
That's that's the number one thing. I mean, I think I can recognize when there's shit I don't like, but I'm like, oh, someone's gonna like this. This is worth money, you know. There's kind of like two sides, and I think any talent buyer probably feels the same way, where there's like, okay, this I don't like this. This is worth money, and then there's like, this shit is great. Like, you know, to me, it's like the the biggest honor you can have as a talent buyer is like when you see a band really early and are like i'm putting some work into this like i'm gonna make it happen i'm gonna like help in any way i can and like i'll lose money on this band like five times because i think they're gonna be big like the one in ten times that actually pays off (laughs) and you're just like i i mean i couldn't even like start to tell you the amount of bands i've seen opening shows or headlining shows to 30 people that are like now huge, you know. Um, well, first one that pops in my head is K-Play. K-Play used to play yeah. the Black Sheep to 30 people and is selling out the Billmore now. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, I, there's, it goes on and on. But like, that's the best feeling. And someone like K-Play, like brilliant, you know? Like you watch her even 10 years ago, however long that was, and you're like, this this is it. Like, this is so good. And like, I will do whatever I can, help this build and help this grow. And a lot of times it doesn't grow, but when it does grow, you're just, it's like the biggest, like, you're like, I did it. You you didn't do anything, but (laughs) just when you know your intuition was right. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of bands where I'm just like, I don't think anyone's ever going to get this, but I will still like try. I will, I will work this to the ends of the earth, you know? And you've been, you've been great at that. Like that's, that's genuinely one thing I think, People, even people in Denver, I think even back when you worked at the Black Sheep full time would recognize that you were like, oh yeah, they threw my band on this Chuck Reagan show and we hadn't even, it was our very first show and we got to like, uh, Tin Horn Prayer, that's who I'm thinking of, Tin Horn Prayer got to play that (laughs) Chuck Reagan show at the Black Sheep, their very first show and you did that and they, you know, for a time they did pretty good. So your intuition's been pretty spot on. I I try, I really, I like love music. My job is to to listen to music and a lot of times pair some music with other music in a way that makes sense. And like, what a great job. (laughs) Just have to listen to music a lot and know as much about it as possible. I did a lot of stuff the last couple of years with like a new soul kind of stuff, which isn't necessarily like my go-to kind of got an ear for it to the point like where I was just like like booked some like really incredible artists one of whom was on Coachella last year that you know we played at the marquee (laughs) like you know just stuff where I'm like um I don't totally understand this genre but I feel like this is really good and then when you you know when you hit on stuff like that you're like cool this is great um and there's I mean booked like a I think literally the only blues artist I've ever booked in my life, I think, <laughs> like sold out the marquee and is getting bigger and bigger and known to be like the new BB King. And I'm just like, I didn't really know what I was doing, but like, I felt like when I was booking the show that it was like going to be cool. And it was very cool. Who was so, it? Um, his name is Christone Kingfish Fisher incredible show and like I said like I was listening to it and I was like I don't know this genre this feels big um, like when you can like pick that out like it's a good feeling and especially when you can go to the only blue show you go to all year and it's so incredible and you're like 
are, are all blues shows like this or did <laughs> I just book the best blues show of the year I'm gonna say option two for sure <laughs> yeah well I don't want to take up too much of your time even though I know you have a lot of it one question I have left before we start wrapping it up so during this downtime what should these bands be doing right now to get themselves ready to take that stage whether it be the bluebird or the flux part two or whatever yeah well that's that's tricky you know like i'm i'm in three bands i have a dj night i have four job i if you would have asked me in february i would have just said like all i need is like more time um to do to to get everything in order and figure out all this shit blah, blah, blah. but like having all this time it's been really stressful and chaotic i would i would have been like man i can write like you give me nine months, I'll write like four cheap perfume albums. It'll be great. Most people that I talk to creatively are in like kind of a mental fog. Um, the uncertainty constantly and the the just the weirdness of what we're going through right now is like, it's really hard to be creative. And um, so I guess like, honestly, my first answer to that question would be like, get to the other side. Number one, the best thing you can do is like, keep yourself like mentally whole and make it to where you can play a show again but you can start a new band there's gonna be like a good six months where there's shows again and there's nobody's on tour yet <laughs> so you know if you want to play shows like whenever the first month the venues can reopen start booking some shows because there's not like there's gonna be national bands on tour at that point so but i think it's more a matter of like don't put don't put pressure on yourself to come out swinging whenever this is over because it's really about like getting by right now well one of the things that i really want to do with this new like 2.0 video podcast i want to help support nonprofits and people places businesses that need it uh my real number one question for you is how can we during these dark times Support the Black Sheep. All your favorite music venues at this point are probably selling some kind of merch thing off their website, uh, whatever. A lot of people, a lot of people are running GoFundMe's. Um, we've been really trying not to, and I've had so many people just be like, how can I donate money to you? I've just been like, man, there's so many other things. Like there's people who are like getting evicted and there's, there's, a, there's a lot of people I think if you want to support a venue, buying merch is great. Um, we're selling like the like five show for $75 card for the third time since we've had a show. <laughs> so, I mean, that's like basically like buying stock in a venue. Like, I know I can't use this right now, but I would like to go to five shows there someday. So here's some money that'll get you through till there can actually be a show again. At the end of the day, I would say like, individual contributions unless you're like fucking Dave Grohl or like somebody with a lot of money who really wants to give us six figures or something like there's not so much directly that a person can do we need congress to do shit um and really everybody who's fucking unemployed right now also needs congress to do shit the whole fucking country needs a stimulus bill um and the national independent venue association neva has the save our stages act which is hopefully going to be part of the next stimulus bill and will really i gotta think like 99 percent of the venues that are in trouble right now this bill 
will bail us out and get us to, I mean, it's literally a matter of like, we are closed, pay our expenses, help us pay our expenses, our rent, utility, insurance, nothing crazy. No one's trying to let, you know, it's not like give us a bunch of money. It's like, we're closed for public health. Like, can you just like pay our expenses so we can afford to be closed for public health until we can have a show? And this bill is great for that. It's like, it's like a PPP bill that's specifically designed for venues and restaurants and movie theaters and places that didn't just have to close for six weeks, places that were going to be closed for a long time. So I don't know, like people always ask me just like, can I give you some money? And it's like, I really don't want money for not doing anything. <laughs> if you would like to give me money, buy like the punch card, buy like some merch, yeah. it just feels weird. I, if we get to the place where we're about to close, we will do that for sure. Yeah. But I think the thing that will benefit almost every independent venue, at least the ones who have made it this far, is the Save Our Stages Act. So the best thing you can do is figure out who your Congress people are and call them about it. Yeah. Write them emails about it. And you probably already did it in like June and you maybe did it again in like August. Like keep fucking doing it. Like do it once a week. Like I do it every single day. <laughs> like it's just like, cause, cause that's how that shit works. Apparently we've never had to lobby Congress for anything, you know, but apparently the way it works is you just need to keep bugging them. And apparently the amount of volume of emails and calls they've gotten about this already has really put it on the map for them. And we have like tons of co-sponsors, but they own them cause yeah, apparently they are, are young people with no attention spans who can't can't remember something <laughs> three months ago. I don't know. Um, so the more like I would rather have emails right now than somebody sending me twenty bucks. You know, that's and I think an email in the long run is going to be worth more than a direct donation. So I really wanted to ask you, so you bring up a good point about Save Our Stages. They are also seeking donations. What's better? Is it better for us to donate to Save Our Stages to help push these acts through Congress? Or is it better for us to spend that, you know, $20 on buying that black sheet t-shirt? Or how much is that hoodie you're wearing right now? That's a pretty sweet hoodie. <laughs> uh, it's only 30 bucks and it's like a really high quality, nice hoodie. I, I highly recommend all of our merch. Um, this is probably counterintuitive to a lot of people and it's counterintuitive for me to almost say, but I think like the Neva money is probably going to go farther in the long run to getting us, uh, to getting us through. If you see the save our stages past, <laughs> then feel free to come buy more hoodies. <laughs> but also, you know, the hoodie's cool. Um, but I mean, you, you've sold merch. Your, your money mostly goes to making the shit, unfortunately. Like, I don't want to discourage anybody from buying it, but you know, you're looking at like five or 10 bucks a pop on 20 or 30 bucks a pop. And, um, we need like, we need like a bill through Congress, like much like everybody does right now. I mean, that's, that's what I had no idea. I've never heard anybody talking about stuff like this. Maybe I haven't been looking. So thank you for being upright and honest about all this stuff. Um, there's a brand new mural. Tell us about the mural real quick. And then I think we can get you out of here. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, really, Nick Campbell, uh, an old black sheep regular who I barely knew because we had a 
um, I think we're like seven or eight years age gap, which is a lot when you're like 25 and he's like seven or eight. But um, then he ended up living with me for a year or two. Uh, and I, I knew him from the sheep. Uh, no idea he was like this incredible artist. And I was just like, man, you have to like make 50% more art and smoke 50% less weed. <laughs> like seriously. And then we, I mean, I was like, we need to put a mural on this thing. It's ugly. It's, you know, the paint job is 20 years old at this point. <laughs> like, um, and I hit up a bunch of people. I was talking to like five or six different people and Nick was the first person who sent me a design and I sent it to everybody and they were just like, that's the fucking thing. So, so I hit up everybody else and told them not to bother. And honestly, it's like really cool. The like dude is like an incredible artist. He's never done a mural before. It's a huge mural. It's a huge, huge space. Um, like everybody was on some sort of budget. Um, and he lives in Denver, so he is coming down on weekends. Took us like, I think I want to say like 10 weeks of just weekends. And then uh, Joe Bruno from False Report was out there helping, like, <laughs> and uh, we, a lot of random helpers, like it was hours of work, but it turned out great. I felt good hiring him for his first mural ever because I knew that he wouldn't, even though he had, hadn't done it before, I knew he wouldn't let it go till it was perfect and he like didn't and it looks fucking sick so yeah no it's incredible and we redid the bar which we had actually planned to do we're gonna try to do it this like four days in march where we like didn't have any shows and like then we ended up getting shut down like the week before (laughs) so that was the first like kind of big decision of coronavirus where it's just like well this is gonna cost like two thousand dollars do we spend money on this or do we just save every penny you know um if i had known back then how how little two thousand dollars was gonna mean in the grand scheme of this year But, you know, we redid the bar, we redid the floor, we just, I, I had my whole list of shit I want to get done, I was like, let's just do it. Let's make it exactly how we want it. So when we reopen, it'll just be perfect, you know? Yeah. This is actually a good, good way to end it. I have this, this sticker on my, uh, on my desk here, and I was really depressed, and I just, I wrote, how do I make the world a better place? Jeff, how can, how can we together, you and me and everyone else listening, how can we make the world a better place, my man? Wear a mask. <laughs> uh, hold on. I've been, I've been hoping you would ask. I don't, I don't know how we make the world a better place. I think you uh, try not to filter yourself too much and like try to uh, put whatever shit is in your heart, be it comedy or music or a podcast or political activism or try to fucking like put it out there even though it's daunting and scary and overwhelming and time consuming and you know like I think I think like most people I know feel like their voices don't matter still like (laughs) despite like however many times an internet meme has told you otherwise so create whatever and like I guess that's the thing is like I'm like randomly started talking about starting a podcast like i have 20 friends who have been like talking about some band they want to do like figure out how to do it like it's it's possible everything's possible and even if your shit's like even if your shit's not good or even if nobody ever pays attention i don't know if you like saw the cheap perfume shit but like i mean we've been 
we've been a pretty like okay local band for five years and sometime in august tiktok found us and got all super into it and now we have like streaming numbers like we never thought we could ever have <laughs> we're not like we have not blown up but i would say we are 10 times bigger right now nationally and internationally than we ever thought we would be if you if you were literally like damien your podcast is gonna make one person's life significantly better fucking go for it how cool is that <laughs> i mean nobody nobody would not do something if you were like hey just this thing you want to do it's gonna make one person's life cooler yeah or even knowing that you know you can start at a music venue as an intern and end up owning it one day yeah or or if they write a letter to their congress people about the save our stages act <laughs> i will say i mean like the first time Cheap Perfume had like a thousand listeners on Spotify, we damn near had like a party and I was just hoping we could like stay at that four digit number. And now it's like 22,000. This is like not our friends. This is like people in different cities and states and they're all 25 years younger than us and way cooler than us. And we don't even know how to use TikTok. <laughs> but yeah, you, you never know who's going to find something. but. Even, I, I just feel like most people, if you told them like, hey, your stupid idea or your your wild idea or your ambition that you think is beyond you is gonna like positively affect like one person, I think people just don't like think about that, you know? Like to, to me, it's just like one person thinks this is really cool that I don't know and I like can affect their life in a positive way. Like that's like the momentum we need as like, a species. <laughs> yeah, my friend, I think that's almost a perfect place to end it. Uh, should we like play? I, I don't know. This is a video show. Should we play a video from Cheap Perfume after this? That's the only. You know what I would like to play? Sure. You know what I think is cooler than that? Victor took some like rad videos of us at a Seventh Circle show. Oh, cool. That um, if I'm showing people the band, I'm like, this is the way you should watch. Everybody always likes that. I think that collectively we all like punching Nazis.